Hello and welcome to the Wholehearted Healer Podcast. My name is Dr. Avine Banish and I will be your host. This is the weekly podcast that helps women pause in their busy lives, drop into the heart, and remember their next right step. I am so happy that you're here. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of The Wholehearted Healer. I'm really excited today to have a very special guest, someone who's close to my heart, um, my son, Luke Banish. Luke is a junior at CU Boulder, and he is studying environmental biology and ecology, as well as international affairs. And I thought Luke would be an interesting guest to have on because he recently studied abroad um, in Bhutan. And Luke, since he was born, has had a very interesting and unique perspective on the world. And um, I don't think he's listened to this podcast much. (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) Um, But I think that he's an example to me of someone who is living wholeheartedly. And so, Luke, I want to say welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Luke, um, first of all, tell us perhaps um, a little bit about you. Okay, totally. Um, I am a biology student currently also studying international affairs. Um, I love running. That's kind of always been my thing. I worked at a zoo for four years. Um, I like hiking. I like adventuring. Um, and I like um, the natural world and the natural order, I guess. That's kind of what I've been dedicating my life to thus far. Okay. And when you talk about the natural world and being outside, is that something that how does that feed your soul, would you say? Um, I mean, I think it's just my my base state and the base state of everyone um, to just be outside um, and to, like, spend time with people outside and conserve the natural order. And, I mean, what I love so much about bio is, is I almost like studying it like an ancient history of billions of years of changes and adaptations and to see all of it out there. And to realize that I'm a part of it, I think is a very important thing to me. And as a young person kind of coming up in the world right now, dedicating your life to these pursuits and these studies, how do you stay, you know, I I also know you and I have, have talked a lot and read a lot. And for someone so young, you have this ability to read some pretty hard, um, environmental studies and environmental ideas that may be coming down the pike and you can still stay um, open-hearted. And so can you talk about concern for what's happening in our environment and how to stay hopeful and um, how to stay hopeful? I think, I think I have a perspective that's hard for a lot of people to grasp um, in that like, you know, we're kind of barreling unsustainably um, and that things, regardless of what happens, things on around here will continue. Um, they might continue without me or you. And I think the last couple of years of my life has been like growing to obviously try and preserve what we can and even start restoring what we've taken, but to be okay with maybe things changing a lot in the next couple of decades and how that might be a good thing, a better thing than we think in the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, that things are going to be really hard, then they might be easy again, if that makes sense. 
Mm-hmm. And can you share, you know, so um, you studied in Bhutan this summer, you studied abroad um, and Bhutan has a very unique, really unique to the whole world perspective on the environment and how sacred they hold the environment. Can you share your experience there and what was that, what that was like? Yeah. I mean, Bhutan was um, life-changing. It was incredible. Um, And also I think I realized while I was there that Bhutan is the answer a little bit to what's going on. Bhutan in their constitution, their government constitution, um, they have to preserve at least 75% of all natural ecosystems at at any given time. That is not happening. Then they have to, change something to get back to that level. Um, And I think also the cultural values there are very community-based and um, selfless almost. Um, You know, it's a very Buddhist country, so people are viewing in the long term, which is another thing I love about biology that we study history, you know, over the hundreds of millions or billions of years. And I think that's a way people look at the world there that we don't look at here, you know, in the United States. Um, And when I say that things might get easier, I think that what's going to happen is like we are going to return to that in a way um going back to community living and um i guess long-term living and looking at how can we benefit you know future generations and coexist with everything and i think like in bhutan that was a big thing that i realized that like getting over the like fear and guilt of of overusing and overtaking and starting to like realize that the only way we're going to get over that is by connecting with others and holding each other accountable, I guess, which is something we don't do here. And can you explain, you shared when you got back this really interesting model they have of how they protect their forests and how communities do that. Can you share that? Yeah. Yeah. So the the government there set up in the, in the early 2000s, something they called the community forest system. Um, And my, one of my professors actually was the, like national manager of it he retired and wanted to teach and he was like my mentor for our our lab research we did there he was amazing but um basically what happens is neighborhoods in bhutan groups of between 50 and 200 people can apply to um manage the nearby forest around like their their village basically um so what happens is um the government lots a certain amount of trees that a like that a community can cut down a year um and use for projects um they do a lot of wood burials in bhutan so a lot of trees are used at, at burial sites um and also for building houses and firewood and lumber and then the rest of the forest is managed by the community so like every week a member of the neighborhood will go out examine tree health um look at what needs to be done and Ultimately, what they found is that when people are in charge of their own neighborhood and in charge of the people around them, making sure no one's taking more than they have to, um, that ultimately it's super successful. Like the 75% of all forests being protected seems like an enormous number, but like when it's groups of people managing the areas they live around, that it, it works with flying colors and that it's been super successful. There's over like 400 different community forests in Bhutan and they're all super successful, which I thought was amazing. That is amazing. And how do you think, you know, you've talked about culturally it's different there in terms of um, here, I would say in the West, we overconsume. Of course. Right. We're, we're using our resources at a faster rate. 
then um, can be sustained. And so how short of um, catastrophe, right? Short of, I don't know, a war or do you think it's possible for us in the West to shift our perspective to um, to sustain? I think it's going to take some big upsets. Um, I don't know when they could be, you know, next year or in 20 years or whenever. Um, but I do think that, like, there needs to be some big, I don't want to say ugly, but, like, unpleasant kind of um, incidents that are going to push people. Um, and I think it's hard too, because, you know, there's so many people or there's so few people actually that are actually in charge of what happens around here. And it's not in their best interest to do the things that need to be done. Um, and like, it's hard. I, I don't know. I mean, I think it takes a lot of unity to get those things done and we're not unified right now. I think we'll get there, but not yet. And I think like part of what I want to do is help us get there. I think is my goal in whatever I end up doing to help unify people for that cause is the dream. Mm. And so is that why you added international affairs as another study? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love biology and I love studying bio, but I've realized that like, you know, doing research and spending my, my days in a lab or even out in the woods um, isn't as fulfilling as I've always thought it would be. Um, and then ultimately, like, I love people so much. And like, I love, I mean, for a long time, my dream was to be a teacher and I think we'll get there. But I think before I do that, I want to spend more time learning. I don't think I'm done learning. And I think I want to work maybe in government conservation, maybe in law, maybe as a wilderness therapist, just getting people involved, getting people interested, and then, you know, fighting for rights when I can. And I know you love running. You did a 50K, I guess. It, it was a long time ago now. Yeah. About a year, about and, a year and a half ago. Yeah. yeah. Can you talk about how you feel when you're running on trails in Colorado or in nature and, and yeah. why you think that that's beneficial? I mean, in the same way that like, I don't know, that I love studying history through the lens of, um, you know, being out in the woods, you can study it through running too. I mean, it's our it's our the first sport and our original i guess super weapon was our ability to just run forever and ever um humans can run further than any other animal in the world being bipedal and super efficient and i don't know when i run i just feel unstoppable i feel like i'm doing what i was meant to do with my body um and i just feel in tune with my body and i feel like i can do anything i guess and so what was running 50K like? Hard. Um, <laughs> that was when my body said, you can't actually do everything. Um, <clears throat> it was amazing. It was so much fun. Um, we ran through the desert, like out on the Colorado-Utah border. Um, and then at like mile 24, they just put this absolutely evil hill. And I will never forget, like, that was the first time in my entire life where I've like actually felt like my legs were like, I can't. I can't do it. So I had to, I had to walk for like one mile of my race, but um, I want to do more of it. My friends and I are talking about doing a 50 miler this summer, just upping, up in the ante. Um, but no, it's just like, I just, it makes me feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I suppose. And on this podcast, um, 
I know you haven't listened much, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm interested in talking to people who can kind of stay open-hearted. So you're kind of studying um, the intersection of some hard things. Um, how do you stay open-hearted despite, you know, we talked about, you kind of alluded to hard changes that may have to happen in order for really humanity to survive. Yeah. Um, what are your tools that you use to stay compassionate and open-hearted? I think um, ultimately what I've been studying for the last seven years is like the philosophy of impermanence. Um, it's a big part of, of bio. I mean, adapt or die is kind of a big, a big saying in biology and ecology, especially. Um, and I think like to find not like for a long time, it's, it's scary. It was scary. Like, you know, that either you tough it out or you don't. Um, but to find like, in some way I've learned to find comfort in the fact that like everything is, is adapt or die. And like, even in my own life, like there's so many little things that should stress me out, but I go, Hey, either I do it or I don't. And then I fail. And then I have to reevaluate. I have yet to die in this lifetime, which is pretty good. Your mom's happy. About yeah. That. I'm, I think I'm adapting. All right. <laughs> um, I don't know, honestly. I mean, I think I, when I came home from Bhutan this summer, I, it almost felt like I had a permanent remedy to anxiety with what I had to kind of taken with me. And the importance of detach, like the importance of detachment as well, um, just like being able to separate everything from myself, and also like establishing that like the lens through which I see the universe is myself, and like I ultimately dictate what life is, and like if I'm bogged down by all these things, then life is not as good as it could be, and to like find ways to just like separate them, and obviously still have them but not have them like in me. They're like outside of me, I think is an important thing to realize too. I think so many people burden themselves with worries and keep them inside themselves when ultimately like they should be um, all exterior to you, in my opinion, if that makes any sense. I don't know. Mm -hmm. How can you be compassionate and detached at the same time? I mean, I think the beauty of, of the natural world is that we all evolve from the same thing. And I like to think we're all the same thing at the end of the day. Um, I can like love everyone because I am them and we share the same, you know, same laws of the universe and the same genetic makeup largely. And like, I don't know, I'd like to believe we are all one collective conscious being and to treat everything you know, with, with the love that I know we all can, I think is super important. What do you think happens when we die? So I'll get back to another <laughs> one. I think we die is what happens, but I mean, I think we return to the system in a physical sense. I don't know where I go. I like to think I go start somewhere new. Um, I don't really like the idea of like an eternal afterlife. I, I think I would get bored of it. Um, but I, I'd like to think I've seen some flashes of some things that happened back in the day. Um, and that I'd, I'd like to think I'm still going somewhere. I mean, it's, it, it's how I cope with the fact that I'm just like an incredibly lucky person. And 
I've had such an incredible life. And I like to like believe this because somebody back in the day put a lot of work in for me. <laughs> um, no, I think I do believe in reincarnation. I think I do. Um, so who knows? Maybe next time I'll be an eel. That's the goal. An eel? No, that's kind of maybe I'm regressing a bit going back <laughs> to being an eel. I'll be a mushroom. Um, and do you meditate? I do. Um, I've been trying to, um, since coming home from my trip, trying to kind of delve into the pantheon of the Himalayas. Um, and it's very dense. And it was a lot easier when I had teachers kind of trying to show me what to learn. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd like to think I meditate, you know, I meditate in a traditional sense two or three times a week. Um, I've recently been studying Amitabha, the Buddha of limitless light. Um, I don't know. He just interests me in a unique way. And he's red, which is pretty cool. He's the only red Buddha I've ever seen. Um, but I think I also meditate in non-traditional ways. I think exercise for me is just an unstoppable hack. I can do anything after exercise. Um, I think music is a huge one. Um, and I think just, I don't know, I, I like to think I meditate in almost every facet of my life in some way. Move with intention, breathe with intention, listen with intention. And what do you say to somebody listening who may be suffering, right? So if you, you're you coming um, at life right now through a very Buddhist lens, you studied mm -hmm. in a Buddhist nation, um, and suffering is part of that, yeah. um, that view of life. And so, so like if a friend is suffering or a being is suffering, what advice do you have? I mean, I think the traditional advice that a Buddhist is supposed to give you is that like zoom out, but I don't, that's not what anyone wants to hear. You know, like you just got to let go and learn how to let go. Um, I mean, I would like to say like to lean into the parts of your life that bring you joy. Um, that's how I like to zoom out. Um, I mean, I've, I'll be honest, I've lived a life pretty devoid of suffering, but, um, that you can suffer with intent too. Like you can, you know, focus, focus your strength and focus your suffering and your struggle into something productive. And I find that's ultimately super valuable, but also to give yourself time to just process is super important. And if we zoom out for you, um, 10 years down the road, where is Luke Banish hanging out? I don't know. Only, <laughs> only time will tell. Um, I don't know. I mean, 10 years still feels, I mean, that's a third of my life, ultimately. Um, 10 years feels like a long way. Um, I, I'm trying to do like the whole zoom out and maybe like a year or two kind of thing. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I've another big thing for me, there's been some big shakeups the last couple of months in my life. And like the realization that ultimately for me, trying to like plan out my life is not super productive that like, Take it one step at a time, I guess. Pick the most unorthodox, like just pick the most random thing every six months and see where you end up has been working pretty well for me. It's been pretty fun. Um, so like what kind of things have you been doing? Well, you know, I've been, <clears throat> got home, got home from my trip, you know, needed some money. So I started working at a kite store, um, selling kites, just got a new job, 
as a tree climbing outdoor therapist assistant, <laughs> thinking about joining the Peace Corps and going to Mongolia, you know, maybe law school, who knows? Only, only time will tell. Maybe I'll end up, I don't know, maybe I'll start a, an animated series. Maybe I'll become a skateboarder. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? No one knows. I don't know. <laughs> well, Luke, have we covered the randomness of the universe at this point? Or are there other questions that I should have asked that I did not? About the randomness of the universe? No, about living open-heartedly. I, I mean, like, you realize, too, that at least in my experience, the most open people are the most fun. Like, and that they are... I don't know, not caught up in what other people think and um, kind of can just be in a very unique way. And they're so like, they're the funniest people and they can laugh through anything, but they're also so tough and resilient. And I think like, I don't, I don't like to think that I'm fully there in terms of living open heartedly or just um, being, you know, a selfless, compassionate person. I think I have a lot of work to do, but like, it's fun to see people who are there who are just so much fun to be around and they make me so happy. Who's an example of some people you've met that are that way? I mean, I think all of my, all of my professors in Bhutan were like, they all were hilarious. It was so, and they were all so wise, but they also would like go to the bars with us. I remember I have very distinct memory of <clears throat> taking, I, I like went to a bar with our headmaster this is off the books. We're not actually allowed to drink with our professors, but he was like asking me philosophical questions. And every time I would get an answer right, he would buy me another shot of whiskey. Okay. Yep. And it, uh, I got too many right. I was, I was too smart. He was like, you're bankrupting me, man. <laughs> so funny. Um, but yeah, they were all, I don't know. So I wasn't expecting my teachers there to really be like the funniest people I'd ever met, but they were. Um, so you think maybe with some self-realization comes joy. Yeah. And I mean, like that, like, I, I think we associate detachment with like numbness, mm -hmm. like, oh, you're emotionally unavailable, you're cynical, you're whatever. But like true detachment is like, you only focus on the things that are important and you can just have fun, which is hilarious to me. Like, that was such a, because I think that's always something I'd struggle with too, that like my, you know, my vision of enlightened people are very stiff, you know, not like detached in the way that like, you know, they're meditating all the time. They're not necessarily present on this plane, but like to see people that were hilarious, like all the monks I met, like invited me to go play soccer and would, would like buy me coffee and that like the wisest people see what's important and they like focus on it, which is people and, and the world around them, not, you know. Um, well, look, I think that you, for me, have, since you have arrived on this plane, as you said, um, have modeled that. You have never taken yourself too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, you teach me a lot every day and with every further adventure you have. Um, and so I'm very grateful for your presence in my life and in our family's life. Well, I'm very grateful for everything that you have done and taught me and allowed me to go out into the world and be a big kid and figure it all out on my own. Very appreciative of that. Thank you. Um, and so thank you so much for being a guest. Yeah. Well, great for coming. Thank you.